So it's from John chapter 9 and beginning at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, if I was to say to you, even blind Freddy could see that, would you understand what I meant? You know, it's it's a common Australian phrase, but not everybody knows what it means. I'm a bit disappointed that uh, our friend Freddy is not here this morning. Uh, But it got me thinking... Where did this expression come from? Uh, who was Blind Freddy? You know, I mean, you might hear it at the rugby, uh, probably not anytime soon, but you might have heard it in the rugby before. Uh, even Blind Freddy could see that that was a forward pass. Or if you're watching a, a crime show, you might think, even Blind Freddy can see that that guy's guilty. So I uh, went to the trusty internet, and you can believe everything you read on the internet. So I looked it up. And this is what I came up with. And this is the the definition that I guess I I sit with best. So apparently there was a police officer, Sir Frederick William Pottinger, 
and he was after this uh, bush ranger Ben Hall, and he couldn't capture him, uh, and so they gave him the nickname Blind Freddy. Uh, and there are little articles in papers and, and things like that that said uh, Blind Freddy could see whatever. Uh, so that, that dates back to 1907. Um, and so if we were to, to, I guess, use Blind Freddy as a proper noun, that would be an imaginary, incapacitated person held up as an archetype of incapac- incapacity. So what Blind Freddy can see must be very obvious. And you might come to John 9 and think, Blind Freddy could see what who Jesus is in this passage. It's clear to everybody. But apparently it wasn't clear to everybody. Sometimes the book of John can be pretty hard to understand, but I think John 9's pretty straightforward, if you think about it. Uh, but maybe it's because we've had the pr- privilege of, of working through the book of John uh, each week, and we, we've been building up a picture of who Jesus is, which makes sense because when John wrote his gospel, he had this purpose that Jesus performed many signs and miracles in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So throughout John, we've been getting a picture of who Jesus is. We've been seeing heaps of different responses to Jesus. Some respond positively. They think he's a great teacher or he's a good prophet. Some even think he's the Messiah. And although they had a different idea of what the Messiah was, at least they recognized that maybe he was the Messiah. But yet others said he was a blasphemer. He was a follower of the devil or he was demon-possessed. And the trend we've been seeing up until now is that the opposition against Jesus has been rising, has been increasing. So we see in uh, chapter 5, we see that they started to persecute him. In chapter 7, we see that they tried to seize him. And again in 7 and 8, we see that they tried to seize him, but they weren't able to seize him. And then at the end of verse eight, uh, chapter 8, they tried to stone him. So in spite of all this growing opposition, though, Jesus doesn't stop his ministry. He keeps teaching. He keeps doing miracles. And so we get to John 9, and Jesus comes across a blind man, a guy who was blind from birth. And Jesus heals him by putting mud in his, on his eyes and telling him to go wash it off at the, in a pool. And when he does that, he can see. And he goes home, and instead of everybody sort of being happy for him, they start to question him and go, what really happened? Are you actually the guy who was blind? And so they haul him off to the Pharisees, they interrogate him, they call his parents in, they call him back again. And by the end of this whole palaver, nothing seems to have been resolved. The Pharisees still don't like Jesus. They're still looking for a way to get him. And they still don't believe the blind man. And in fact, at the end of verse uh, chapter 9, Jesus says, the Pharisees condemn themselves because they continue to scoff at Jesus and they don't see Jesus for who he really is. The blind man can now see Jesus, literally and metaphorically, and believes in Jesus. While the Pharisees are still blind and they don't believe in Jesus. 
And there's a nice play of ideas of physical and spiritual blindness, physical sight and spiritual sight. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That, that video that we watched with the kids, that was amazing. That was a great story. And so I think we can finish the talk here. Um, but since I've got a little bit extra time, maybe we should look at it a little bit deeper because I put all this work into my talk. So maybe we'll, we'll keep going. Um, all right. So let's have a closer look at this passage. So I think it's a small but significant detail that, the, that it's mentioned that the blind man was blind from birth. See verse 1, it says, the blind man was blind from birth. Firstly, it highlights the enormity of the miracle that Jesus does in this guy's life. Later on, the blind man points to this fact that he was blind from birth as evidence that Jesus must be from God. You know, this was no easy fix. No cataracts. It's, it shows the enormity of the event. And it's a clue that Jesus is someone special. But the other thing it highlights is the disciples' attitude towards this man's blindness. It's that they held a common belief that these things happen because of, of someone's sin. That is, they thought bad things happened to bad people and good things happened to good people. They asked, who sinned for this guy to be born blind? Him or his parents? You see, even a parent's sin could be transferred to their baby in the womb, according to their beliefs. And, and the Pharisees held the same view. Later on, the Pharisees accused the blind man, saying that he was steeped in sin from birth, saying that he was born blind because he was so sinful when he was born. But Jesus corrects his disciples and says, no, it wasn't because of this man's sin. Bad stuff doesn't just happen to bad people, and good stuff doesn't just happen to good people. It's because this man was born so that the works of God might be displayed in him, it says in verse 3. It's mind-blowing to think that this man had been born blind with the express purpose that Jesus would one day walk past and heal him, and the works of God would be displayed in him. And 2,000 years later, we're reading about this guy right here today. You know, bad things don't just happen to bad people. Sometimes we go through a hard time and we think that God must be punishing us for something that we've done. Or if everything is going good, we must be doing all the right things and God is happy with us. God doesn't work like that. Sometimes we don't know what God is doing but we need to trust that God knows what he's doing. So next, Jesus spits on the ground and makes some, some mud. And today, that would probably be frowned upon as quite unhygienic. But, you know, Jesus didn't have to do anything to heal this guy. He could have just said the words, or he could have even just thought it, and this guy would have been healed. But he chooses to make mud and ask the man to go wash. Perhaps it's to give the blind man an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to show that he had faith that Jesus could heal him. And when he does do that, he is healed. 
So the man obeys Jesus and he's healed and he goes home seeing. But the irony starts when he gets home. You see, some people have trouble believing their own eyes when they see the blind man can see. His own neighbors and people uh, who knew him can't believe what they see. They're divided over who this guy is. And so what does the guy do? The, the blind man just recalls the facts in verses 9 to 11. He says, I am the blind man you know. And he tells them, the man they called Jesus put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash, and now I can see. And after he tells them that, they drag him off to the Pharisees because it was the Sabbath that he did that. So there were probably some, I guess, devout or pious Jews who were just doing their duty, reporting on Jesus for breaking the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they question him and they question the blind man's parents. And what does the blind man say? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. So first he experiences Jesus doing it. Then he tells his neighbors what happened. Then he tells the Pharisees. And for us as the readers, we're, that's three times that we've been told what's happened. But even after confirming with the man's parents that this guy really was blind from birth and now could see, the Pharisees still don't believe him and they get fed up. But evidently the, the blind man doesn't want to tell the story again. So he quips back at them with a smart aleck comment, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You can imagine he's just, he's just over it. He just wants to go home and use his eyes. But when the Pharisees claim that they don't know where Jesus come from or came from, he can't help himself but to say just one more thing. And as in the video, you saw the blind man was probably a social outcast, a beggar. Maybe people recognized him from hanging on a street corner on the way to work. But despite his lowly social status, he showed incredible reasoning and spiritual insight and shows how foolish the Pharisees really were when he answers them in verses 30 to 33. He says, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now that's the last straw for the Pharisees. They've been out-reasoned and shown up. So they do what uh, any eight-year-old boy would do when they're beaten. They insult him and they kick him out. He was, he was probably thinking, yay, at least at last I get to go home. Um, but dealing with the Pharisees sounds like a headache. It's like hitting your head against a brick wall. But it wasn't all bad. I mean, I want to point out that the Pharisees, there were still some Pharisees that were willing to consider Jesus. 
It says in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So even though we look at the Pharisees and think, oh, they're the bad guys, there were still some that were thinking about Jesus, giving him some a, a real go. But the other Pharisees had already made up their minds about Jesus, so it wouldn't matter what the man said. They thought Jesus was not from God. Jesus was a sinner. He was a blasphemer. He broke the Sabbath by making mud and healing people. They thought, thought he falsely claimed to be God's son, God's chosen Messiah. John even says that the Pharisees had already decided to excommunicate anyone from the synagogue in, chapter, in verse 30, uh, 22 if they claimed Jesus was the Christ. So it seems highly unlikely that, they, that anything would have changed their mind. And their behavior proves it. They don't believe the testimony of the blind man. So they subpoena his parents and they ask him back again. All the Pharisees are concerned about is finding a way to discredit and condemn Jesus. And that sounds a bit like today, doesn't it? It can seem that people just aren't listening. They can't be reasoned with, no matter what you say, no matter what they know. They refuse to accept the facts. People refuse to acknowledge the truth, even though they hear the truth. Is there anything such as truth these days? But the blind man, he believed in the truth, and he shows a different response than the Pharisees. In the beginning, the blind man doesn't see with his eyes, and he refers to the man, to Jesus, as the man they call Jesus in verse 11. By verse 17, he says that Jesus is a prophet. By verse 32, he knows that Jesus is from God. And by verse 38, he worships Jesus as Lord. You see, it's a remarkable journey from a man who has an encounter with Jesus. He keeps recalling the facts and he ends up worshipping Jesus. I mentioned earlier that the man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God here are not the healing. The works of God is not that he could see. The works of God is that this man believed in Jesus. It's his progress towards faith, his progress towards believing in Jesus. Whereas the Pharisees stood firm in their unbelief. So although we can focus on how silly and stubborn the Pharisees behaved and think, oh, we're not like them, maybe the thing to focus on is the blind man's journey to faith and how he trusted in Jesus. John's connecting physical and spiritual blindness. The blind man who's the one who can see Jesus in the end. And the blind are the one who recognize that they can't see. John calls Jesus the light in chapter 1 of his book. And what does light let you do? It lets you see. The blind man sees Jesus, who is the light of the world. He sees physically and spiritually. But the Pharisees, 
They're spiritually blind to their need for Jesus and they're left in darkness. They don't recognize their need to see Jesus. And so Jesus is showing in John 9, he's no ordinary man. He's a prophet. He's a messenger from God. No, he's the son of God. He is God. He's the Messiah and he's Lord. And he came to die for the sins of the world. So what will it take for you to fully put your belief and trust in Jesus? For some, it comes from studying the Bible and understanding it better. For others, it's the witness of other Christians and what you see in their lives. For others, it's an internal feeling or revelation or dream that people come to know Jesus. That's why it's so important to keep hearing these accounts of Jesus. Like the blind man, the more we hear them and repeat them to ourselves, the more we understand and believe who Jesus is. Every time we hear the same story, we learn more and more about Jesus, and our faith grows. My mom used to say, you think I'm nagging you, but I'm not, when she would keep on saying, drive safely, wear warm clothes, it's cold outside. In fact, she still does that now. And I told myself I wouldn't be like that, but I guess I nag my kids too. But the reason we repeat things over and over is because repetition leads to recollection. And recollection, in the blind man's case, leads to recognition. Repetition of what Jesus had done for him led him to recognize that Jesus was Lord. Repetition of what Jesus has done for us leads us to recognition that Jesus is our Lord. But I think for us, maybe the bigger problem is not that we don't see Jesus for who he is, but that we choose to turn a blind eye to Jesus when it suits us. We pretend like we don't know who Jesus is sometimes, so we don't have to worship him and follow him with all our heart, mind, and strength. What I mean by that? Well, maybe it's when you're financially under the pump. So you fudge some numbers with your accounts. Or maybe it's doing something unethical to reach a target and get that bonus. Or maybe you put Jesus on the back burner until you make your next million or so. Or when you want to gossip about so-and-so because they're such a pain. Or when you want to watch that X-rated video that you know you shouldn't. Or we look at social media and we get jealous of all the people who have health and wealth and beauty and travel and we want that too. I struggle with all those things. That's when you turn a blind eye to Jesus. That's when we feel like we can think and do whatever we want, just for a little while, even though we've seen Jesus and we know the truth of who he is. Lastly, maybe we don't actively look away from Jesus, but we can forget what he looks like and we can stop seeing Jesus for who he is. In unsettling and uncertain times like we're in now, there can be a lot of anxiety and fear 
Sickness, disease and death remind us that we live in a broken world. It also reminds us of the fragility of life and how powerless we are to control our own destiny. But we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is in control. At the beginning of John's Gospel, he starts with this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's who Jesus is. He's the creator of the world. He's the sustainer of the world. He's the light of this world. And in Colossians 1, Paul writes, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, friends, Jesus is in control. We can put our hope and trust in him. He holds all things together. And what's more, we can look forward to a day when, in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Our encouragement today is to keep meditating on God's word, the Bible, because through it we'll grow in our faith in Jesus. We need to keep looking at Jesus. We need to keep seeing Jesus for who he is. Jesus is Lord and Saviour, and Jesus is in control.